0: Welcome to episode one. Due to March being endometriosis awareness month, the podcast is going to focus on the growing diagnosis of endometriosis and in particular the story of Adele. Each podcast, we have a recorded sponsor who have offered out their support to us. For this episode, we are extremely lucky to be sponsored by Speak Up, Speak Out. Speak Up, Speak Out Endo is a support network who document women's life experiences with endometriosis. And together with other linked charities and support groups, their motto has become that the voice makes an impact and the difference can be made to other women, providers and future generations. Please follow them at SpeakUpSpeakOutEndo on Instagram and include the hashtag SpeakUpSpeakEndo and share your story with them.
1: the reality.
0: So welcome to episode one. I am very, 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 very excited that this has happened. Um, So for me, this podcast has come out of um, about two and a half years of written blogs. Um, Lots of feedback from people who have said that Um, Some of my written blogs should be audio and try and get some people involved in the certain topics that I've been talking about. So there's been a lot of support from subscribers who I don't even know, to friends who read it, to other people locally at work and through different friendship circles who have read it and given some positive feedback. So this podcast um, I'm very passionate about and obviously this is the first episode and I'm very not sure where this is going to go but um, I'm very excited to be able to get the first one recorded. So I'm going to introduce a very, very old friend of mine don't laugh (laughs) (laughs) um adele heather who adele how long have we known each other
1: Wow, since about 2000, 2001? We, we were trying to piece it together,
0: weren't yeah. we? It's one of those, oh, don't really remember back then what year Which it was or how old I kind was. kind of mean that's 20 years. Yeah, a very long time. It's a bit scary. We haven't actually physically seen each other. So let's explain a little bit. So Adele and I both worked at Topshop in Oxford when we were 16.
1: Yep, yeah, the glory days.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, Leone... A.K.A. Elmo, if you're listening or (laughs) you will remember those days. Yes. Um, Yeah, so we worked with each other at Topshop. It was like our first teeny teeny bopper job. Yes. We thought we were the bee's knees. Still the best job I've ever had, to be fair. (laughs) I had the best time. (laughs) We had a great time. Absolute ball. Yeah, it was brilliant. Um, So, yeah, we haven't really seen each other since those days ended. No. Although social media and Facebook and all those sorts of Absolutely. things allow you to still see what goes on in people's yeah. lives. Um, and I'm very, very lucky to have my very best friend from university days, um, Tor Jones. Hello. <laughs> um, Tor didn't actually think she'd be on a mic today, <laughs> but she is sat with full kit and caboodle, yeah, um, ready to rock and roll. Serving. Yeah, but um, <laughs> I am very happy that you're here because you are one of my biggest, other than the lovely Lillian, that is my biggest support network yeah. in terms of friends and you're always there so I'm very chuffed that you're here today. Yeah, thank you, thank so you. you may not say very much but I'm glad you're here.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, okay. okay so let's get on to the story of Adele. So basically this podcast as we said is about endometriosis and it's fair to say Adele that you've been on a bit of a journey in the last 20 years that I haven't seen you (laughs) yes absolutely um so like we said we've kept on in touch online and it's I mean it's not the same thing as seeing each other in person and it does feel today that we've kind of just picked up where we left off which is really strange but really nice as well um but it wasn't until I saw stuff on your social media that I quite realized the journey and how serious your journey really has been yeah um so that's why when you got in touch with me, having seen the advertising about the podcast and stuff, that you were like, oh, I really want to do something. And I was yeah. like, actually, with my clinical hat on um, and my background, obviously, being in medicine and mental health, straight away, I was like, yes, this needs to be done because yeah. there is a growing need for there to be more awareness about this topic. And there is a lot more. Um, probably less understanding in in the clinical world as well as the non-clinical world about what yes. this really means for people yeah and people are very quick to judge and very flippant comments about oh it, it it's not dilapidating and you're just a woman and you just need to get on with it and yeah those types of things which we'll go into so it's really I'm so glad you're here it's really really good I'm really pleased to be here I appreciate the opportunity really oh thank you okay so when did your journey with
1: endo start? Knowing what I know now as a teenager, but as a teenager, I didn't know what it was or mm. what I was going through. And approaching doctors, etc., about period pains and struggling with pelvic pain. I'll take the combined pill and off you go. Now I know what I was going through at that point wasn't normal, but it's a topic that people don't want to talk about. People still don't feel comfortable, even now, 20 years on, to d- be discussing women's health, period pains, pelvic issues. It's something that's kept very taboo, which is something that I would like to break down. Mm.
0: And I think when you think about how many years it was back then, so yeah. what, over 20 years ago, I think the whole medical world has changed. Yes, and definitely. A lot more disorders and illnesses and medical conditions have come to the foreground and there's a lot more research than there was 20 years ago. I mean, I don't remember as a teenager or even in my early years of um, nursing training, even hearing the word endometriosis or knowing what it was or even any research or anything about it so I think we've come a long way since then but there's still a long way to go
1: absolutely and it has been in the press a lot more in the last few years and there is a lot more awareness of it Um, but it's still not enough there isn't enough research into the condition it's there's still so many unknowns with the condition and every every woman suffers differently so there is no set plan for somebody who has the condition Mm. and it, it really does need to be much more in the the forefront of people's minds, particularly in the medical side of things, because it's still very, very misunderstood by GPs. And that's the front line for this condition. Yeah. So do you want to just give us a brief overview of
0: like, a very summarised version of like the start to now? Like, yeah, because I know you've had surgeries, and you've spent a long time in hospital. And at one point you were very, very poorly and you've had to
1: work on yourself to get yourself healthier. So just give us like a kind of short timeline of what that looks like. Okay. So obviously as a teenager, as I said, I I was suffering. Um, Not that I realised what it was at the point of time, but I suffered with a lot of nausea back then as well, which was really addressed as, you know, teenage angst and whatever else. But as it turns out, it was actually connected to my endometriosis. So I went through my early twenties kind of having, you know, some real grumbles and Having lots of things you know that people would consider standard so having the period pain but then I was getting pelvic pain day in day out not related to anything to do with my cycle. So I went to visit GPs and said about you know the the symptoms that I had and it was all dismissed as you got women's trouble it's part of being a woman take some tablets and get on with it. So I I obviously took the advice of the medical professionals, took some tablets and got on with it. Mm. And it was only really until probably my mid to late 20s that it started affecting other things. So I started having an impact on being able to go to the bathroom normally, um, having a lot of fatigue, uh, things with my my sort of um, lots of blood levels going wrong. So things with iron and that type of thing going out of sync. Mm. And that was really when I started to try and push because I knew that I needed a better quality of life. So in my late 20s, I started to sort of really push the GPs and and try and get myself really referred to gynaecology. Um, It wasn't until I was around 30 that I got actually referred to my first uh, gynaecologist, which uh, was general gynae. And I ended up having a laparoscopy um, in 2015, um, the only way to diagnose endometriosis officially is through a laparoscopy. I've had lots of other scans and cameras everywhere you can think of. So Every orifice. <laughs> yes, everywhere you can have a camera, I've had a camera. Every home's um, a <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I had lots of scans and everything else, and they said, OK, we suspect you've got endometriosis, we're going to do some surgery. So I had my first laparoscopy. Um, During that surgery, I had ablation, um, which is where the endometriosis is burned away from the different areas. That to me just sounds painful. Yeah, it's it's a painful recovery and it's actually also not helpful, which I now know. um, I should have had excision surgery, which I'll go on to. Um, But I had the ablation surgery and um, I was told that it would probably give me a good 10 years of being in better health. They removed endometriosis from places like my bladder and bowel, which was where I was having trouble going to the bathroom. My right ovary was actually fused to my bowel. So it was, you know, again, nothing to do with period pain. This was organs stuck to other organs. So, you know, I was having the immense rip in pain when I was doing certain things. And it was obviously because my ovary was fused. That's great. So they, and they use terms like obliterated quite a lot in endometriosis and my right ovary was obliterated.
0: I mean, come on, that
1: word just, it's kind of like, what a, there's nothing else yeah, after that. Yeah. What a lovely way to describe that. Now how my ovaries are still functioning, I'm not sure, but they are. So, so I had my first surgery and I had high hopes and I think for the first kind of six months, you know, you're recovering and the recovery is hard. You know, it is difficult to get yourself back up and running. I recovered from that and I actually started doing quite well and my pain levels had reduced and I thought, you know, there was a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. That was then kind of came to an abrupt end when I started getting some quite severe flare ups where to the point where I was unable to walk, um, you know, verging on passing out. I spent nights curled up on the floor in the bathroom because I was in so much pain. I didn't know what to do with myself. Um, and I kind of went through these phases where I'd get the flare ups, which were, again, nothing to do with my cycle, just random. You couldn't you couldn't plan when they were happening. So, again, I started on a journey with the NHS trying to help me. I had a lot of um, dismissive responses from from my GP and really, really struggled to get anybody to listen to me. I ended up in A&E at one point where I was in so much agony. I just I could I could barely do anything and was just told, take some codeine and go home <laughs> So I I really really struggled with that and I ended up having to go through the NHS complaints procedure in order to actually get my second surgery. So that surgery was um, in August last year. Um, I had that at the BSGE Winchester. So that is a, um, a centre that manages endometriosis specifically. Uh, my surgeon was absolutely fantastic. As soon as I met him, he understood everything. Whereas that's the first time I've ever met a medical professional that's actually really understood my condition. That's why specialists are good. Yeah. So he was incredibly supportive. And I actually, I went in there having been through the NHS complaints process, having spent eight months fighting to be able to see the right person. I then met the right person. And within three weeks, I had my surgery. I mean, for me, having worked in the NHS
0: for God, over 15 years, it's horrible it's hard because I, I'm a clinician, so I do all the patient face, like I did all yeah. the patient facing stuff and I understand all of the policies that we have in place and the and the way we're made to do things. But to hear from a patient experience that they've had to fight to get yeah. something, when there are specialists there, maybe your journey wasn't diagnosed as probably as effectively as it could, mm. but that you're the one having to do the fighting
1: to get Absolutely. something that you pay your taxes for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I've, I've worked since I was, you know, kind of came out of school. I've, I've kind since of earned we were 16 my, since death. we were 16, exactly. <laughs> you know, I've, I've paid my national insurance for this. Um, I did spend a lot of time, um, and with, um, pals and the free, the complaints process mm. in order to try and get my voice heard. I was, I was suffering. It was affecting my day to day life. I was struggling to go to the toilet every day. I would, I would spend sometimes sat on the loo in tears that is not normal no. that's not acceptable and I told so many medical professionals that and it just got brushed under the carpet and I'm a very very strong character and if you I was if I, I was not you are <laughs> if I wasn't would I be sitting here now having had the surgery I needed probably not no I had to fight I sat up in the complaints office I called them I emailed them I kept pushing through and eventually I was referred to the BSGE centre which is where I needed to go um Albeit Winchester, and I live in Swindon, so it was an hour and a half drive each time. But it was where I needed to be. Mm. The surgeon was was on a completely different level to what I'd met before. I was then assessed and told that my previous surgery was actually a complete waste of time. Um, it was. Is that the the burning? Of- yes, the ablation. Okay. yeah. So, so essentially, to get rid of endometriosis correctly, you need excision surgery, which is the reality is is cutting it out, cutting mm. it out from the root. It's like going in your garden and burning the top of a weed and leaving the roots there. It's, yeah. not, it's just going to come back really quickly. And mine did come back really quickly. And, um, you know, obviously I ended up in, in quite a state. Uh, the surgeon could, could see that I'd been through a fight and managed to get me in in three weeks. So that's amazing. I had my excision surgery 22nd of August last year. Um, And although I am starting to get some pain creeping back through, I'm in nowhere near the condition that I was in before. Mm. Um, So it has been a massive improvement seeing the right person and getting the right type of surgery. And I guess when you think about your
0: journey in terms of having to be the one that's
1: fought to get what
0: you need. Imagine if you hadn't done that.
1: Well, exactly. Imagine what your
0: life would be like now. You wouldn't be sat here. No, you wouldn't be back to work. You wouldn't be able to go to the gym like none of those things everyday yeah. routine things would be a part of your lifestyle. Absolutely.
1: Anymore. And I mean, I, I feel because I am a strong person, that obviously I've been able to do that. But there are so many people out there. And one of the reasons why I wanted to come here and talk about this is if someone's listening to this now and struggling, fight, be an ambassador for your own health, because mm. you are really ultimately the only one that is responsible for it. The NHS are there to support you and help you, of course, but you need to fight for yourself and don't allow the suffering to go on. So you've set up a support page on instagram haven't you yes i have what's yes. what's it called at so so it's endos not the end of me basically no. so endo not the end of me and it will not be no no and it will not be the end of me. And uh, yeah, so. I'm- and
0: that's where I first read Adele's story when she contacted me, because there's a lot of it on there, isn't there? Yeah. And uh, for anyone listening, like Adele said, and who's struggling with this or thinks that you might have the symptoms, then you're being pushed away by GP and not being listened to, then I would really suggest that you go to
1: Adele's page and, and follow her and maybe contact you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to discuss this with anybody. And I've contacted, and I've actually spoken to it when I was in recovery from my surgery. Obviously, I was sat on a sofa, and there's any symptoms. So much- daytime tv you can cope with yeah i've spoken to people all over the world actually about endometriosis and about how people are suffering and you know not being heard and it's something that you know women in general need to stand up for our rights as it is let alone having to then fight for your health um so it's a, it's a topic that is obviously very close to my heart um but, but it's yeah. a
0: difficult one to talk about it
1: absolutely is no
0: this sounds really silly, but even women don't like talking to each other about periods. No. Tor, have I ever spoke to you about my periods? No. Ever? No. Other than when we were at uni and I was a bit aggy and she'd have to bring me tea and biscuits. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't do... Naturally, we no, do not do it. It's don't. like a topic that's just not spoken Absolutely. about. Absolutely. If anything, it's like masturbation. Like, nobody talks about yeah. these things. Like, But it happens. It's it life. Does. It like, does.
1: And I think... One of the things that I take from kind of my younger years, and I think about how when I was really struggling, I mean, when I had a lot of bowel problems with my endometriosis and I would literally be on my period and not to be able to go to the toilet, mm-hmm. I'd have to take laxatives because it was so, so painful. The only way anything was going to happen was quickly. So laxatives was the only way. Yeah. I actually thought when I was younger that it was quite normal to struggle to go to the toilet when you're on your period. Because no one spoke about it. Because whoever talks about that. No, right. nobody ever mentions anything to do with going to the toilet when you're on your period. I just thought that was quite a normal thing. I thought maybe that's part of you know just it's being just on your period, about. but it's not spoken about. But it's as if when you're growing up as a an,
0: as a late teen, early twenties, and you're going through this whole starting your period and becoming a real woman and going through all different changes. Because you're a woman, you're just expected to know. Yeah. Like no one teaches you, never gives you a guidebook. No one, no. everyone gives you this pill and says, oh, we, you're a woman, we don't want to get you pregnant, have this. Yeah. But you don't understand the implications of these things. No. So, yeah. Yeah. So can we just have a discussion about understanding the differences between having a bad period and potentially having endometriosis and what that looks like? Yeah. So the differences...
1: Yeah. So I think for me personally, the main differences have been that my pain is not specific to a period. So I've had pelvic area pain every day for as long as I can remember Mm. in some form or another. So to have aching in your pelvis and areas that feel uncomfortable, not normal.
0: And having recently, September, October, I was really poorly and I had acute infection in my pelvis. I know exactly what Adele was talking about in terms of that pain. It is crippling. It is horrible. I was in hospital for quite a number of days, and I still now is not as bad. And touch wood, as I touch the table, <laughs> um, I'm. I am quite well recovered but I still do have days where it is painful and you can't get off the chair you can't get off the sofa you Mm. sit on the floor and you get stuck like you want to go to the gym but you couldn't possibly think about
1: running on a treadmill because your pelvis is going to be all over the place yeah so I get what you mean yeah absolutely and I think you know everybody does most women will have an element of period pain a light cramping you know some discomfort I've heard it described as almost like you know a headache in your stomach. You know you've, yeah. you've kind of got that. That is going to be normal. Lots of people have cramping at the end of the day. Everything is trying to squeeze to get something out, so you are going to get cramps, and and that you know that is that's quite the normal. nature of muscle. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and if you take you know paracetamol, ibuprofen, these kind of things, it normally will will get rid of that, or you know at least dull that sort of pain. When you start needing stronger painkillers to get to get that pain away. That's to me when you need to start looking at: Are there other issues here? Mm. There are some people that just purely cope, you know, cope with with paracetamol, ibuprofen, and whatever else, and they're fine. There are people that need stronger painkillers for what is still considered normal normal period pain. But if you're getting agonising pain, struggling to walk, struggling with your legs, your hips, you know, I, I've gone through periods of time I can't put my own socks on. My husband's had to put my socks on for me because mm. leaning down was so gripingly painful. That is not normal. No. If you can't put your socks on when you're on your period, please go and see somebody because that is not normal.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and it's it's obviously there's every, different levels of pain for different people. And everyone's people. threshold is very different. And people's different. threshold is very different. I've learned to build up quite a high threshold as I've I got to I have got a very and, high pain threshold. Yeah. But you know, it I think it's it's just trying to work out what's normal and I think if you're struggling on your period that much that it's affecting your day to day life. Like you can't go to work. Yeah, you if can't drive sort of work, school, college, uni, if you can't drive properly, you know, if you're curled up in bed in severe pain. And crying. And yeah, and, and emotional everything else, please just go and get yourself checked out and don't take no for an answer. Yeah. So let's talk about Matt your lovely yes. husband who has been in your life since I've known you well he is my, my husband we've been together 12 years so um yeah so we, we met 12 years ago he is my constant support man, if you're listening we love you <laughs> that poor man has had to go through more than any man should have to and and any any husband should have to support their wife really at this age He's been there, you know, through my surgeries, he's he's washed my hair, he's helped me shower. He's He's, kind of gone on his own
0: journey alongside you, like, trying to be your husband as he's always been and always known to be, but having to, like, learn this new thing and help support you about something he doesn't know about that's again related, related to yeah. women
1: that no one speaks about absolutely and I think probably for the first couple of years of our relationship I, I kind of kept it away from him really were you suffering quite bad when you first met him um I wasn't too bad at that stage I was well, we, I was 24 when we met so I was kind of at the stage where I was I was struggling during my periods but outside of that I was okay mm-hmm. majority of the time I got the odd twinge and that kind of thing and I did get a little bit more tired than probably a normal mid-20s person would do but there was quite a lot that I could almost hide from him to start with um it's not really something when you start dating somebody that you want to start talking about anyway um but for the first couple of years you know things were sort of you know I, I was kind of managing them quite well myself um and it was only really sort of once we were married and sort of started getting into our sort of yeah late 20s really that he probably became much much more aware of it um and you know he has been my constant support I wouldn't be here now if it wasn't for him he supported me through all of the real rubbish times times. and you know he's had to see stuff that men don't need to see you know but he's you know absolutely fantastic and do you think it's made you guys stronger yeah definitely yeah Yeah. I think it's it's one of those things that you you don't ever want your partner to have to support you and and look after you but he does it without grumbling unless it's surgical stockings and then he will grumble (laughs) because putting those bad boys on is difficult and They're it, not the best, no, or
0: the most attractive no, thing in the world. They are not.
1: And my mobility after both of my surgeries has been quite low to start with.
0: Yeah.
1: Having learned lessons from my first surgery, my second one, I actually bought myself a walking stick and was much more independent. Was it pink and flowery? Uh, no, I put stickers on it. I've got oh. unicorn stickers on. Oh, it. hello! Because I'm so tall, it was like some t- special. T- tals, tals know, a fan of unicorn. Yeah, seen, yeah. There was yep. unicorn stickers on my walking stick. It's got to be awesome. But yeah, I learned some lessons so that the second time round I could look after myself a little bit better. I wasn't so reliant on him. Mm. But certainly, my first surgery, I really, really struggled with the first couple of weeks of, of recovery. And yeah, he, he genuinely was washing my hair, drying my hair, standing with me in the shower I so I didn't have loved fall to have over. Seen hair after that? Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, he's not a hairdresser. Bless him. Oh. But, um, but yeah. So, so how was it? How
0: did you have to do the explaining to him about what this is, what this means,
1: like to get him to understand? Or did you go off and do it on his own? I think to start with, obviously, I had to start talking about my symptoms with him and and sort of why I was struggling. So he could understand. He's done a lot of his own research. Mm -hmm. Um, He's... uh, He's got a very, um, detailed brain. He likes to go into a lot of detail with things. He's obsessed with space. Oh God, and I'm not sure something. if that's good or bad. So well, he's, he's done a lot of research. So he, he is very understanding of the condition. Um, he supported me on the endometriosis march. So he's met tons of other women, hundreds of other women with endometriosis. He's been by my side through that. And so, that was in London, wasn't it? That was in it? London, yes. And they do yeah. that every year? They do, yes. Yep, yeah, there's one coming up in March. So March being endometriosis awareness month, um, yeah. there's lots going on, but, um, yeah, so he's he's kind of joined me on my journey on those kind of things. So he's learned a lot from uh, meeting other women with a condition as well, and sort of discussing with them how their partners can mm. can cope. And you know, so I, I've, it's been really hard for him at times because seeing someone that you love in that much pain, yeah, and not really being able to do anything apart from bring me a peppermint tea and a hot water bottle. <laughs> yeah, oh
0: god, peppermint tea I could do with one of them. Ben, <laughs> ben, have you got any peppermint tea? No. Ben saying no. Um, so, talking about your relationship, and I'm, yeah. I'm not going to go into details because I don't I don't want it to get too personal. But there must have been strains, yes, because surely something like this completely changes the dynamics in your relationship in terms of you not being you, yes, and you not communicating certain things because you yes. feel so down, yeah, and not being socially aware or communicating or wanting to go and do things and your mood completely changing. And and I guess an element of your mental health being tarnished because of all of this. Yeah. So how, I guess, how do you make sure that each of you are okay? Because he's obviously, his first priority is you. Yes. And your first priority is making sure he's okay. Yeah. Alongside worrying about yourself. Yeah. So how... How did you two as a couple just kind of make sure that it didn't the bricks didn't come tumbling yeah. down? Yeah.
1: I think we we talk a lot. We talk probably a lot more than we ever used to. I think we went for it. we you know, we've been through bad patches just like everyone else has, you know, we've been to relationships. Well, yes. Relationships, that's what happens. Yeah. And we're much better at communicating now and I think he's very comfortable with telling me, You're being a moody cow, <laughs> pack it in. <laughs> you know, and I think I need that. That's sometimes. Yeah. That is the polite version. If anyone knows him, you know, that's not the words he would use. Um, But yeah, I think it's open communication as much as possible and talking about things. And, you know, obviously we've had periods where I've, you know, I've been recovering from surgery, which then affects your intimate life. And, you know, we've we've had to adapt to certain situations. I'm, I'm very lucky that he is. He's a very flexible person. He's actually quite good at adapting to all sorts of different situations um and i think not flexible as in arms and legs are you just talking oh no because he is a personal trainer yeah he's a personal trainer and a nutritionist he although he's not that flexible when i've tried to teach him a bit of yoga it's not gone that well so he's surely he should be teaching you the yoga (laughs) yoga not one of his strong points but um note to self yeah yeah Yeah. So it's just been really trying and, you know, it's something we've had to work on a lot is being really open and honest with each other and open communication and just talking and keeping, you know, and talking through things because either of us bottling things up is not healthy. No. Do you
0: feel like your journey has affected your mental health or did it at any point in terms of? I don't know your psychological well-being about dealing with what you're going through. Did you ever have you ever worried about your mental health? Has it been something that's caused you extra problems on top of what th- you're already dealing I with? I think
1: I've I've gone through phases where I've been very low. Mm. Um, I I don't I would never call myself a depressant. I don't think I've gone down that, that far. Yeah. But I've had low mood caused by my condition, mm. um, and I think the The impact of having people in the medical profession dismissing you over and over again is incredibly frustrating do you start to question yourself and you do yeah you do you think well these are the people that are the experts and if they can't help me maybe I can't be helped
0: yeah and if they don't recognize that I do have what I think I've got
1: well what have I got then yeah. because it, it, they clearly don't think it's that yeah. And I think, you know, our hormone levels and messing around, those kind of things actually do obviously affect your mood as well. Um, yeah. And normally after my surgeries, because they've messed about with your ovaries and stuff, your hormone levels are quite all over the place. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a very emotional person normally at all. But the first few months after my surgery, I, I could cry at anything random at any point, really. Um, it's okay. It's- Whitney played on the radio the <laughs> other day and I was crying in my car. <laughs> there
0: you go. just happens. You just... It just happens. You can't control yeah. it.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, and it does, I think it definitely does have an impact on mental health. And I think if you're somebody that is already quite susceptible to mental health problems, having this on top of that could really spiral out of control. I guess it
0: depends on your resilience barrier. Yes. Uh, how resilient are you? Yes. If something like this was to come into your life, are you... Are you resilient enough to deal with, like cope with it, with your support network and and get on with it? Or or
1: is it actually going to send you to rock bottom? And then you've got two problems that you've got to deal with alongside each other. Yeah, I think I've been very lucky in the sense that I am very resilient and I bounce back every single time. I mean, I've had other surgeries not related to my endo and I've bounced back every single time. And but that has its own toll on your mental health, because in the end you keep thinking, how many times can I keep bouncing back? Mm. But when you've been
0: dealing with it for so long as well, yeah. before like that, your early stages before you mm. got even close to surgeries and investigations yeah. and things, that's a long period of time to be Absolutely. dealing with something where no one's listening to you, yes. and you're just yeah. having to go on day by day with the same routine and live your life whilst yeah. coping with this annoying bug thing. Yes. that's it's screaming just there at you all the time. Yeah, so. What other support networks in terms of endometriosis have you kind of reached out to or gained access to and like people you've met along the way have you like met other people who suffer yes
1: I have well strangely enough one of my good friends Claire she actually was diagnosed relatively recently compared to me um and she she's had a real struggle she's had two surgeries like me so So you've kind of been a support network yeah yeah absolutely we've we've been there for each other um i spent a lot of time on health unlocked which is a um, which is a forum for health issues and there is an endometriosis uk page on there mm. um had an immense amount of support from that forum and then starting up my instagram page last year i did not expect the kind of response that i've had from that really and i've actually found people through that and you know people that i met so um danielle who i met at the um, endo march which i met in in 2016 we chat every now and then and you know she's i think she's on her third surgery now so there's i think the the very good thing about being somebody that suffers with endometriosis is you are automatically an endo sister and Welcome to the crew. There is a fantastic support network out there. And just being able to to be on things like social media and you see other people's journeys and i've tried to be very open with mine in order to help people and there's lots of pictures of stitches in my stomach and and horrible things i and loved them <laughs> with my medical hat on
0: i love all of that shit like give me a brain doctor program or anything like that i will watch it there was i'm just going to go off piece here yep. but last year there was a program on channel four called the live autopsy it was like the best thing oh, ever Oh dear! did you watch yes, it yeah
1: and And they cut open
0: this woman and you they took all of her organs out and they wanted to check how much fat level was around all of her organs because she was a diabetic oh my god it was like the best three hours of my life (laughs) I I don't know why I never went into that field I should have but yeah it was amazing anyway I'd be hiding behind a pillow trying to watch that it was great not for me (laughs) I'm hoping they bring out another one I'm not volunteering but um yeah so so you've been able to help Claire yeah What other networks out there or
1: charities and things have helped you? I think having access to the Endometriosis UK website has been great because it's factual. There's a lot of fact on there. There's a lot of information on there. We were discussing this earlier, weren't we, about when
0: you go online and you read stuff, how do you know it's true? Yeah. If you're coming on this journey from the day one, and you go and do a bit of research, how do you know what you're reading is absolutely. right? And how do you know? Well, you don't know that's going to be you particularly, but how how can you use that information to go and action something and gain improvement if you don't know it's true? Yes, absolutely. So it, there's a lot of horrible jargon out there. Yes, Wikipedia being one of them, where people just go and write a load of crap and yeah. it's not true. But yeah, so how how do you? Yeah, charities like that help yeah. people actually gain the correct information. Yeah,
1: Absolutely. And they have actually got a helpline as well, which is open at certain times so you can you can call so you and can discuss actually as well. Talk so you can someone. speak to somebody that is um, you know, an ambassador for endometriosis and, and you know can point you in the right direction really if you're if you're struggling. Yeah. Um, I do think that social media is a great tool. Um, obviously you do have to be a little bit cautious that the information that you're getting is correct, but And what you're putting on isn't used yes. by other people. Yeah, as absolutely. As I've learned recently, have yeah. on night
0: <laughs> Yes, definitely. But I think social media, as much as it has negatives, um, is a very good positive platform when used appropriately. Yes. Um, and for things like this and um, for me the fitness side of things. Um I think health and nutrition is gaining a lot of airtime on social media. Yes. But in the right way. Yes. There are the fakers out there. We all mm. know who they are. Yeah. Um but I think in the pages that you've sent me to and the information that I've read and also some people who are your followers who are now following me. Hello yeah. everyone. <laughs> um reading their stories like yeah. you guys are so open about let me tell you my journey because I want to help people. Yeah, it needs more people like you. Yeah, to just be open and happy to share the good, the bad, the ugly. Yes. Let's face it. There's been a lot of ugly. <laughs> yes, <there has. laughs> um, so it, I think it is so important that people who have been through a journey like you have, and these people who are following you, and that you have gained these networks with, that yes. they do exactly the same.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think. You know, you you can have your voice heard on social media and doing it the right way and, you know, promoting the the fact of being very open and honest about your experience it does help other people and when I first started my journey officially with endometriosis and I was on the run-up to my first surgery I was obviously very nervous about that and speaking to people on forums about what their surgery was like and how they recovered and all the tips and advice I got you know make sure you take some massive pants with you because if you've got any that are small and Did you they find cut some into, big enough? oh I got some huge ones yeah Bridget Jones They were proper like under my bra line pants. They were amazing. Oh my amazing. god, they're big pants. But, You're very tall. I know, but then they don't touch any stitches. That's oh. where the tip is. You see, otherwise they you've have to be baggy running. as well as big. Yes, yes, like proper grandma yeah, go, pants. Go at least you a few know those sizes ones that you see on Mildred's
0: washing line hanging out oh, yes. the back.
1: Yes, you yeah. see those
0: on Adele's washing line as well. Yes. <laughs> Adele is Mildred. <laughs> okay, so. Can we talk about your daily ability to live your life, yes. basically? So how yes. do you get through on a day daily... Like, we talked about pain. Yeah. Like, you wake up in the morning. How do you get through the day positively? I guess, go back to when it was yeah. bad. How did you get through a day compared to how you get through a day now? Yeah.
1: I think when it was at its worst getting through a day was I was just taking each day mm. as it comes. Every day was sort of taken individually. And even so much as and and I think asking for help at the start of the day when well, I couldn't get my socks on, which is obviously not, you know, great. <laughs> <Math's> <laughs> it's number one priority. Yes. Yes. Getting my socks on. So, you know, those kind of things um, getting through that day really was, you know, starting to try and eat right and start the day correctly, you know, have a healthy breakfast to be able to stomach my pain meds. Because I was taking uh, methanamic acid, which is something that does make you quite sicky feeling. Um, I have got all range of painkillers that I've taken, you know, codeine and tramadol, which is the devil. Um, You know, it depended on how bad I was to sort of get through through each day, really. Um, And I think, you know, having the support of my work colleagues as well, my work colleagues have been very supportive of me. Um, they've been able to, you know, th- to tell when I was in a, a bad way and, you know, bring cups of coffee to my desk for me so i don't have to go and move yeah. and... Did you go back you to know. work quite quickly? Yeah, I've never really had huge periods of time off work. So um, with both surgeries, I was off for about three, three and a half weeks and then went back part-time and then phased myself back in. Yeah, I'm a very active person and I, I can't do sitting at home. Because part of, like, even anyone having time off work, when you
0: are in that, well, we spent, like what 70 to 80 percent of our life at work yeah you by not doing that element of your daily routine you end up isolating yes. yourself or being yes. isolated Absolutely. so that again plays on your mental health and can be i mean i was only off work for four six maybe seven weeks
1: and it was horrible mm. yeah. i just wanted to go back it feels like a very long time when you're just day-to-day staring at four walls, and like you way. say there's
0: only so much bloody daytime tv you can watch Absolutely. like phil and
1: holly i love you and all that
0: but yeah <laughs> come on
1: yeah yeah I think probably in hindsight both times I've probably gone back a bit early really for and you know it's trying not to set back your recovery but Mm. um my work have been very flexible in the sense that they've allowed me to go back sort of on a part-time basis until I get better I actually changed my hours to four days a week um about 18 months ago now and I've been been working like that Which is that's helped a lot actually because it means that when I have weeks where I am too tired to function. I don't work on a Friday, and I just spend that Friday on the sofa in my pajamas. To be honest, just or have recording it some, a podcast. Or or recording in a podcast. In
0: yeah. <laughs> so, do you think there's been any triggers along your recovery journey that have potentially maybe impacted and made things a little bit worse, or have really helped and made things better?
1: I think there are certain triggers that I probably. I mean. If you if you talk about um, things like food and alcohol and that sort of thing, yeah, did you have to change a, your diet? I there is there is an official endometriosis diet, which really? is, which there is a book about and you can read about. It. It's all about sort of cutting out um, alcohol, gluten, red meat, those types of things. Um, I'm vegetarian. I've been vegetarian since I was eight years old, I so saying, meat is I not an, an issue. always being a veggie. Yes, yeah. I was the token veggie back then. <laughs> you were. You <She laughs> definitely, days, did, she definitely veggie. didn't come to Marks
0: and Spencer's and get a sandwich meal
1: deal, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I was the token veggie. Um, yeah, so I was already vegetarian. Um, I've got some issues with caffeine so I can't have caffeine anyway so I've I I cut caffeine out many years ago um so a lot of the triggers that are spoken about I'd I'd already already actually naturally cut out um alcohol can be a flare -er. do you drink? um I do drink yes um do you like a drink? I do like a drink yes yes Um, Life without wine seems, yeah, not really worth living. So you might as well just die, just (laughs) die.
0: Life without Prosecco and Champagne tour. We're going to a bottomless brunch tomorrow. It's going to be messy. Oh, yeah, it's
1: going to be good. The last one we went to was very messy. (laughs) (laughs) That's how it's supposed to be. There's a trend here. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Anyway. So that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so external triggers like that. So um, things like food and drink can obviously trigger um, issues with endometriosis. Also environmental and stress is one thing that does. And I've been through periods of stress in my life and my endo has absolutely got worse um I think you know the general stresses of life bereavement and you know things with life. you know work's gone wrong or something or you know all sorts of things like that um have definitely been triggers I think positive triggers on the other side of it I think having the support from my close friends mm-hmm. has been something that has genuinely really really helped me um you know my my friends have had to put up with a lot and you know and i'm I'm lucky that i've got friends that you know that obviously got claire that or claire bear as i call her um who is i remember that name from way back when was she around then oh no i only met her when i moved to swindon so i've only really been friends about 10 years but but yeah, so, so Claire Bear obviously having endometriosis as well, we've been able to talk about the finer details of these things and not grace each other out. Um but then, you understand. Yeah, but then like my best mate Liz has been there for me since we were sixteen years old. Um, you know she I was in a real state after my surgery recently and, and had to go to the emergency doctor she drove over from Oxford to take me because Matt was at work you know that was a 70 mile round trip to take me to the doctors which, but that, that's, you know, that's friends. that's friendship yeah and it's it's you know so on the positive triggers it's it's having those friendships and having people that you know have got your back and looking out for you I mean yeah. my, my sister-in-law for example was fantastic for my recovery because she made me this amazing hamper of gifts, and there was one to open each day of my recovery. So I had like oh, fourteen really gifts.
0: Nice.
1: So I had something to look forward to what every day. What was in there? I want to know. Oh, all Not all of things. them, but no, like th- things like you know chocolates and herbal teas and candles and lots of comfort things, really, that's to make amazing. you feel comfortable. Yeah, really Someone amazing. could do that and make a business. Yeah, really. <laughs> they could. the endo box. Yes. So my sister law Nolati, she's been fantastic you know just having people checking on you every day and you know i've got i've i'm lucky that i've got a really i haven't got a massive friendship group you know i've got a, f- a small amount of friends and um it's but it's been nice that they will check on me every day and make sure i'm okay and you know when i'm going through periods of, of bad times they're making sure i'm all right and you know i remember my friend jackie a couple of years ago i was going through a bad period and she bought me a, a microwave bear that you put in there like a hot water yeah water, yeah, yeah to, to help with the pelvic pain and just turned up with it and you know it's like that's what you need though yeah isn't it? people who know yeah. what
0: you need and want when yes. you're really down
1: and, and that's yeah. true friendship it is yeah it is absolutely so what are your hopes for the future I hope that I can remain healthy for as long as possible really i feel much healthier now than i have done for a long time like i touched on earlier on my surgery was like six months ago now i am getting pain creeping back in a bit now but nowhere near the level that it was before Mm. um my surgeon said to me that 80 percent of women don't return to him in the first five years so i'm hoping that i'm one of those 80 percent and don't have to have surgery in the next five years yeah um, you know, really my hopes for, for sort of short term and long term is just to go out and have fun and, and not alive, feel, not feel worried. Like, you know, a couple of years ago, I saw Craig David and Ibiza and it was absolutely amazing. But I spent two days beforehand worrying, am I going to have a flare up? Will they let me in with my tablet? And that creates stress. <laughs> yeah. And you get stressed about it. Is, it's like a vicious circle. Yeah. Like you worry about these things, you get stressed about it. The stress brings on a flare-up and yes. then you're back to where you thought you were going to be. And Absolutely. It's kind of like- and quite often I've ended up with flare-ups when I've had big events. I've missed people's weddings and things. And I think it's because I build myself up to be like, I've got to be good for that. That day. was going to be
0: one of my questions. Actually, is there anything that you feel you've missed out on in, in
1: along this journey because of it? Oh, loads, loads. I've I've missed you know people's birthday meals, weddings, you know, general events, social also, related so, things. Mainly social related things. Obviously, I've I've kind of taken a step back in my career because I've not been able to you know work full time and, and like sort the of address that. Side. And yeah, so I've I've let a lot of people down and not intentionally but you know and sometimes it has been so last minute and that's hard you know it is it's hard to make that decision
0: yeah and I think we are all not selfish enough sometimes because our own well-being is ours yeah and we don't look after ourselves and we worry about other people more than we worry about ourselves yeah and sometimes you've got to be a bit selfish and if something's not right for you and you don't feel well and you and you're worried about something then don't go
1: yeah Yeah. And that's one of the things that I've learned, especially in the last couple of years, that self-care is so important.
0: And I make a lot
1: more time now for Mm self-care. And, you know, you have to look after yourself. And particularly when you're living with a chronic condition, you need to make time officially to look after yourself.
0: Yeah. And I think the one good thing to remember, or one positive thing that I read when doing some research about this was that endometriosis is not infectious. It's not contagious. And it is not cancer. Yes, absolutely. I think like reading some of the things online that people have wrote about their stories and their journeys, but also some of the really rubbish medical research or medical related um, articles just make it sound like you're going to die. Yes. Like why are you writing people off before they've
1: even started? Absolutely. There can be some doom and gloom around it. And, you know, ultimately, yes, there is no cure, but there are treatments that do help. And it's finding the right one for you. I've spent probably 15 years trying to find the right help, but having excision surgery has made a huge difference to my life. Mm. So, if you were to name five
0: things or elements or things for people to do at the wherever they are on their journey with endometriosis, what would those five things be? Oh, that's a good one. Five, Same. like yeah, what 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 are five things that you have done, actioned? followed up from,
1: thought for, that you have believe have helped your de- journey the most? I think definitely getting the right medical help. So ensuring that you actually get seen by a BSGE centre is so important because they are specific for endometriosis yeah. and are trained properly. How many of there are in the country? Do you know? I'm not sure of the, the complete number. There's not that many around. So the ones I know of, there's one in Oxford, there's one in Winchester, there's one in London. Um, I believe there's some in the north as well. There's one in Car- I think it's Cardiff or Bridge End kind of way. So there's one in Wales. So okay. I think there's probably around ten, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Well, but, ten know. for what? Is it 15 million women who suffer with Absolutely. endometriosis? And there, so there isn't that, that not many really much. No, and there isn't very many excision surgeons out there that are qualified enough in excision as well. So that's something right. that is 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 very under resourced. Um, So, yeah, definitely getting the right medical help. Um, Self-care is a a really important thing as well, I think, that I've learned along the way. Um, Getting support from the people around you and being open and honest with people. Sometimes it's something that someone doesn't want to hear. Not everybody wants to hear that you've been sat on the toilet in tears, but sometimes you do need to tell people that so that they can understand and realise. And absolutely more so than anything is just. Be an ambassador for your own health. If you have to fight, fight. Do not give up. There are ways of treating endometriosis that will improve your quality of life. Not the same thing works for everybody, but there will be something out there. You've just got to find it and be that ambassador for yourself and fight.
0: Mm.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I hope it's been not too personal-
0: attack or no absolutely not we haven't prodded you too much for too much <laughs> no. information i have
1: been so prodded in my life oh, so this I'll is nothing to trust me <laughs> so You're happy for
0: people to contact you via your Instagram page? Yes.
1: So it's at endo... Endo, not the end of me. At endo, not the end of me. Yeah, so absolutely happy for anybody to contact me via that. And I would say to
0: people, if you're interested in even reading any more about it, you might not be a sufferer, you might not think you've got symptoms, but it's so informative, the information you've got on there, your stories, and also all the other people that you link to on there. Yes, yeah. Um, It's a really good place to go. So that is the end of episode one. If you like what you have heard and... Would like to listen to more, please follow us on Instagram at, at plus size vs reality and DM us with any of your comments and feedback. Plus Size
1: v reality.